Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombus, we've always said our socks, underwear, and t shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombus. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to part three of our Leftovers Rewatch. As you know, this mini-episode continues our deep dive into season one of possibly my all-time favourite TV show. Maybe not possibly, it probably is. Actually, it is. I've made a decision. It is my favourite TV show of all time. And as I tell everyone, I have to try. If I don't, who will? I'm Justin Hamilton, and you're a part of Big Squid. Thank you for joining me today as I'll be chatting to you about the third episode of The Leftovers entitled Two Boats and a Helicopter. If you don't know what this is a reference to, I'll explain the title in the Squid Bits part of the show towards the end. But before we get into that, a quick thank you to everyone who came to the pop-up show at the Adelaide Fringe. We had a great turnout for a show that wasn't even in the Fringe Guide. It wasn't on the Fringe website. It literally went on sale a few days before the show opened. So I was wrapped to see everyone who turned up and it was a really fun night. There was a really good vibe. I probably said some things that were pretty loose. (laughs) and I'm not going to repeat them here. Everyone in the room, you know what I said and I stand by it as well. But uh, a big thank you to everyone who came out because, you know, it's really hard to promote something amongst all the noise of the actual fringe, that the noise of the actual fringe is not a negative. They're doing what they have to do, and I was not technically a part of it. It all came together so suddenly and and, and rapidly. So uh, to find our audience and find our people was fantastic. Uh, A big thank you also to Craig Egan at Adelaide Comedy, Mick Krieg, 
and the staff at the Rhino Room. Mick is the owner, been a friend of mine for 20 plus years and finding that space was great and the events team at Token Artists for making it all happen, as I said, in such a short amount of time. I also did a daytime gig at Flinders University to 150 students, which was so much fun and so weird because my first gig at Flinders Uni was back in 1994. And as I explained to the students, some of their parents probably saw me perform before they'd even thought about having kids, let alone meeting each other. It was really fun and uh, the kids were so nice and uh, I also received my favourite review ever, ever on the Flinders Uni Instagram page that read, Old Man Makes Young Folk Laugh. (laughs) I've had some people suggest to me that maybe I said that because... Who's using the word (laughs) folk, right? It does sound like something I could say. I have no memory of saying it. That's an old man thing to say, isn't it? I can't remember saying something. But look, I don't know if they were quoting what I said or that was just an actual review. Either way, I'm owning it as a review. I might even make my next show title that. Old man makes young folk laugh. Brilliant. Thank you once again to everyone involved, not only on that day, but the 24-hour sojourn for a nice trip back to Adelaide. It was a lot of fun. It was nice to be back, uh, even if it was just for a very short time. Okay, you and I need to have a serious talk about Matt Jamison. Do you know what it was? It was a test for what comes now. You look old. Sorry, I don't have any in white. You said I could stay. I said you could stay as long as no buyers came forward. Tell me how I can keep my church. If we can no longer separate the innocent from the guilty, everything that happened to us, all of our suffering, is meaningless. On the surface, this is a very simple episode as we focus on one character, Matt Jamison, the local reverend. His parish is experiencing dwindling numbers for what we can surmise would be two major reasons. The first reason is immediately obvious. In a world where people just vanished into thin air, it would be an easy world in which to lose your faith. I'm sure some of the people in Mapleton no longer believe in God or are looking elsewhere to have their faith renewed. The less obvious reason makes itself very apparent as a man barges in and punches the reverend in the face. The attacker jams one of Matt's flyers in his mouth before leaving the reverend rolling around in pain. Remember, he's handing out those flyers that are pointing out that some of the people who departed weren't heroes. They were very normal people who had major serious flaws. And Matt feels a a compulsion to let everyone know the truth. He's visited by everyone's favourite washboard, Kevin Garvey, (laughs) who asks if he wants to press charges. And when Matt declines, he invites him over to the house. This is the house Kevin's father owned, a house that Matt knows well because he is friends with Kevin Sr. But he declines to go as his nights are taken up looking after his very sick wife. Matt conducts a baptism in secret for a father whose wife has lost faith and then heads to the casino to learn some more information about another departed victim who was also, in reality, a bit of a bad person. Matt also discovers from the bank that someone wants to buy his church since he's so far behind in payments. 
Matt needs to find over $130,000 before the close of business the next day or he'll lose the church. He asks his sister Nora for money and this ends in an argument. Then one night he remembers that Kevin Garvey Sr. said there was money hidden in the backyard of his house in case he ever needed it. Matt goes in the middle of the night to dig it up and then takes it to the casino where he bets big on roulette. Of all the games, roulette. But somehow Matt wins all the money he needs to pay off the bank, but is mugged in the car park. He finds the strength to take the money back, returns to Mapleton, deposits the original money he borrowed from the backyard of Kevin Sr. and makes his way to the bank the next morning. On the way, he sees members of the Guilty Remnant get hit with a rock from a moving car, so Matt stops to help. And while calling for help, the car returns and throws a rock at Matt and knocks him out. He dreams a surreal collage of memories and fears, only to wake in hospital. He quickly dresses, races back to his car, drives to the bank with the money, but he's too late. Matt doesn't realise he's been passed out for three days. Three days. He's been unconscious for three days. Matt makes his way to the church to discover who has bought the church. And it's the guilty remnant. And they're already starting to throw out his Bibles and repaint the facade. Ah, Matt, Matt, Matt. One of the great characters of The Leftovers and one of the most difficult to love. But I do love him, even if his actions drive me insane. This episode gave me the same reaction I had when we discovered on Lost that John Locke couldn't walk before he crashed on the island. The moment in this episode when we discover Matt has been asleep for three days is gut-wrenching and shocking. A a real stand-up moment. And look around the lounge room gesticulating impotently because there's nobody around to scream with. And especially after everything we go through watching this episode, to find he missed his window is heartbreaking. Somehow fitting. It's hilarious. It's all of these feelings. But I'm getting slightly ahead of myself. There's a lot to discuss here. And we began this season with two big episodes that gave us a taste of what the world is like after the departure, or at least how this town in particular is coping. And to pivot into essentially a solo character piece is a smart move, as we can fully understand the minutiae of one person's crisis after having a sense of where the rest of the world is positioned at this moment in time. Matt is fascinating right from the beginning. We hear a story about a young boy who is very happy until his younger sister comes along. He wishes her away, and once he does this, he discovers he has cancer. Luckily, the boy overcomes this cancer, and he chooses to see it as a sign from God. He then tells a story about a young girl in a coma and reveals that Matt himself was the little boy in the story, and he's asking everyone to pray with that little boy for the young girl to come out of the coma. Yet when Matt visits the hospital, the girl is gone. She woke up. He tells the orderly that his congregation prayed for her this morning, but the orderly shrugs and says, eh, she woke up last night. And that little scene, kind of incongruous with the rest of the episode, kind of floating all on its own, this sums up Matt for me. He's a man who desperately wants to do good, but also wants the credit for it wants the signs. This is a man who witnessed an event some people are thinking is the rapture, and it can't be the rapture because, in Matt's mind, he should have been front and centre to catch up with God. 
rather than just be happy the girl is awake. He needs it to be because of his good work in praying, as it justifies his dedication to God and reinforces to him that he is a good man doing just work. Matt's congregation is diminishing by the day, and we can understand why, even when Matt cannot. With people losing faith and his insistence on what he perceives to be justice, who would want to hang out with this guy? We saw Matt briefly in the pilot, handing his flyers at Heroes Day that point out the terrible things people did before they departed. He wants to remind everyone that some of the departed were actually bad people. Later, when he visits his sister, Nora Durst, she tells him that she stands up for him. And with that bit of information, we can put two and two together to guess that some people have stopped going to the church because they probably just don't like Matt. And why would you like him when he at first asks his sister for money? He then attempts to guilt her into lending him the money because it was their parents' special place. Then refuses to make a bargain with her when she just says, can you stop putting out the flyers? Which is a very fair enough request and he cannot budge on that. And in a a very awful act of spite, he reveals that Nora's departed husband was having an affair and tries to justify it by saying, hey, that's the one thing that I won't put out there. Like after this scene, you're seriously like, fuck this guy. Fuck this guy. Why would you want to spend any more time with him? It's such a low blow. That's a dog of a thing to do. Well, we want to spend more time with him because unlike many shows, The Leftovers characters are complicated They feel real, don't you think? In a world where people can just disappear, everyone in this series feels like people that you know. That's why the series works. It's a high concept with very relatable characters. I wanted to slap Matt for his behaviour towards his sister. I wanted to shake him because he kept avoiding the calls from the bank and therefore he's the one who gets himself into that 24-hour mess. I think it is also wrong of him to give that baby a baptism when the mother quite clearly would not approve. Yet when we watch him with his wife, the way he carries her, the gentleness with which he bathes her and the tenderness he exhibits as he rubs cream into her skin, it is heartbreaking and you can tell he loves her very much. Matt, 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 Matt is complicated. There have probably been many opportunities to save his church, but his stubbornness definitely has held him back. We don't have to see this to know this. He looks for signs and inspiration when hard work and a sense of empathy might have worked in his favour. While he lays on the fold-out bed next to his wife's bed and he begins to cry, you know this is a person who is in pain. This is a person who is hurting in his soul, deep, deep, deep inside. We discover how his wife ended up in this predicament. They were in the car that crashed in the background at the beginning of the pilot when the driver of the other car departed. You can literally see his world shattering as he runs down the street, cradling his wife, screaming for help. Nobody hears him at that point because everyone in the world is screaming. And where is his God in this moment of need. Back to the bedroom and Matt finds inspiration in the painting on his wall. This painting is titled Job on the Dunghill with his wife by Albrecht Dürer. In the painting, Job is sitting on a dunghill while his wife pours a bucket of water over his body that is covered in sores. In the background, you can see Job's house on fire. 
The story of Job, of course, is the story of a wealthy man and a faithful believer who God tests in a bet with Satan. He looks at this and then he suddenly remembers the money that Kevin Garvey Sr. said was out the back of his house if he ever needed it. He goes in the middle of the night and when he gets there, he finds Laurie hiding in the dark, close to her family, but so distant. They make a pact to keep a secret. Once again, that ironic humour that is infused all the way through this series when Matt says to Laurie, I won't tell anyone if you don't. You know Laurie's not telling anyone. She's not saying anything to anyone anywhere. I love these little moments. It is up there with Matt when he finds himself in a hospital lift with a sad clown and suggests they're going to the same place. And you start to think, what place are they going? That's a clown. I usually figure clowns are going to hell. (laughs) It doesn't sound promising for the reverend or the clown. Matt taking the money to the casino and gambling all of this cash is a twist of the stomach. I can't believe how tense I felt re-watching this and I knew the outcome. Maybe my stomach was just remembering how it reacted the first time and couldn't stop itself from repeating the action. Such beautiful acting and direction when, after the third roll of the roulette wheel, we just watch Matt's impassive face, unclear of the result, until he technically looks at the croupier, but the way it's shot, it's like he's looking out of the TV, straight at us. And he looks at us, and he smiles. Because he's won. He's won all the money and more. Yet even victorious, he has to linger in the car park and he's nearly mugged. His righteous anger as the man tries to take his winnings and the beating Matt gives him is ugly to watch. But later that morning, he stops his car after a member of the guilty remnant has been hit with a rock. See, Matt is difficult. He's hard to get a read on because he's like a real person. He's awful, he's wonderful, he's inspiring, he's frustrating... And it's just like all of us. We're all wonderful and awful. And all we can do is hope that when we make a mistake, we can learn from it and do better next time. And you sit there watching Matt going, please learn. Please learn. Learn the right lessons, Matt. When he sees the uh, the signs, he sees signs in things like the pigeons, the one at the church, the two at the table at the casino, the three at the traffic lights. These are all signs for him. And I found this part of the episode particularly fascinating because I'd actually forgotten about the pigeons and was quite surprised to see them in the episode. Just a little detour here, but a few years ago, I wrote a three-part show entitled The Ballad of John Tilled Animus. In the first part, titled Three Dances, I told a story about a pigeon who lived opposite my first apartment in Sydney. We've spoken before about my last couple of years in Melbourne being very depressing and how I moved to Sydney quite quickly in a very sudden decision. And that first summer here, I watched a pigeon every night returned to its nest above the pub that my balcony looked over. And every night, I watched it return and go to sleep. Then one day it returned and someone had put up chicken wire, meaning the pigeon couldn't get to the nest. And I watched it panic and try to push through the wire and I didn't know what to do. It was too far away for me to do anything that would have been helpful in any way. And before I could even think of the right thing to do, the poor pigeon broke its neck trying to push through and it was awful, and I watched its poor little lifeless body drop to the roof, and that was the moment that sent me spiralling into a deep depression that took me years to come out of, and it became a story in three dances. 
And that pigeon was a sign. It wasn't the pigeon dying. Of course, that was awful, but it represented something to me in my mind. And so watching Matt with the pigeons, how bizarre, but that was a very relatable moment for me. I I knew how Matt felt. Matt finally wins by literally winning money. In a universe where people can disappear without warning, there must be something supernatural occurring, right? Maybe God did look down finally and see that Matt needed help. Of course, Matt doesn't go straight home. He returns the original money where he found it for Kevin Garvey Sr. And that was the right thing to do. And the paper that he initially got the money out of was wrapped in one of his own flyers about a corrupt judge. He drives to the street where the judge has a street named after him and steals the street sign. So even in victory, for fuck's sake, Matt can't help himself, right? Just get on with it. You've won. Then he's knocked out. He dreams a dream of his youth, but in his youth, he's a grown man. That's because for all intents and purposes, Matt is still that same scared little boy who discovered he had cancer when he made a wish for his sister to disappear. Matt sees signs where there are none to see and he chooses to keep seeing them because if the world is just chaos, how does he exist in such a scary world? He chose to see the terrible things that happened to him as Tess, just like he lectures his sister, just like he lectures the rest of the town. And when he makes eye contact with Paddy, the leader of the guilty remnant who now owns his church, he wonders again if God is testing him. Matt looks to Job for inspiration, but unlike Job, he doesn't accept his fate. He pushes back against his sister. He pushes back against the bank. He potentially murders a man to get his money back, money he won through gambling, and in the end, he still loses the parish. Matt never loses the cash that could have saved the day, but instead, he loses something much more precious, time. Okay, it's time for some squid bits. The title of this episode, Two Boats and a Helicopter, is inspired by the old joke about a man standing on the roof of his house during a flood. He refuses three rescue attempts, saying he is confident God will save him, and he subsequently drowns. And when he's in heaven... He chastises God for letting him down. He says, I stayed on that roof. I stayed on that roof waiting for you. I was waiting for you. And these people kept coming and I I didn't go with them because I was waiting for you to save me. And God says, but I sent you two boats and a helicopter. <laughs> it's a funny joke, right? Matt has the novel Perforated Heart by Eric Bogosian, I think is how you pronounce his name, uh, in his house. This is a story about an author who has an accomplished career and a level of fame that isn't quite what he wanted as a young man, but it's still pretty good. Yet his publisher and readers have moved on to new and exciting authors, and while this author is recovering from heart surgery, he finds a stack of notebooks in his attic journals that he kept when he first arrived in New York in the 70s. He begins to read about this young man and is confronted by what he reads. Uh, This is a story about how two different characters can inhabit the same person. I think we can probably say that about a lot of the characters that uh, exist in the world of The Leftovers. Kevin Senior loves peanut butter, as we saw in the previous episode. The hidden money is found in a peanut 
butter jar. Just a little nice thing to notice. The second spin of the roulette lands on 23, which is one of the numbers from Lost. That was a little bit exciting for some of us Lost fans. Uh, you might find this interesting. Matt only appears twice in the book. There is no indication that Kevin's family had anything to do with Matt's. Uh, Nora and Matt aren't siblings in the book. Nora's sister introduces them and Matt supports Nora as she recovers from losing her family. She has affection for Matt even though she disapproves of the newsletter. Also in the book, uh, Nora's mother is alive. Matt tells Nora about her husband's affair but doesn't reveal it until after Heroes Day. He also found the information by hacking the computer that was owned by the woman that Nora's husband was sleeping with. The computer was thrown away because it was broken. The loved one's bereavement figures are an invention of the show. Uh, That's the little infomercial that's playing in the background. Uh, It's kind of similar to a departure-inspired infomercial in the book. But we'll talk about that a little bit later. Keep that advert in the back of your head. I'm not telling you why. Obviously for important reasons. But just keep it there. Matt's wife suffering from paralysis due to a departure-related accident is an invention of the show. In the book, Matt takes up the cause of rapture denial because he believes he should have been first in line for the rapture. So even though it's not stated categorically, they're they're pretty similar uh, inspirations. In the book, his wife and children abandon him because he becomes obsessed with his newsletter. Laurie stalking her husband is an invention of the show, and that is uh, Janelle Maloney from The West Wing playing Mary, Matt's wife. A very accomplished actor who uh, physically uh, doesn't get many lines, but that will be interesting later as well. Oh, all these things to keep in the back of the head. Uh, that brings us to the end of this latest episode. I'm really in the swing of things now with the series. Can't wait to talk to you about upcoming episodes. There's already, like, I'm happy to talk to you about every episode, but there's specific episodes that I am pumped to get to. Uh, if you're enjoying this podcast, we're all about broadening our base this year. If you can leave the show a nice review online or recommend it to your pals, that's always the best way to uh have new listeners come in that is appreciated sorry to keep banging on about it but we're happy with where the podcast is and feel this is the time to expand the listenership this isn't just for me of course this is also the talent that I have on the show I'd like to get them out to more people as well so if you have the time and the inclination uh, thank you very much for doing that also don't feel like you have to if you just want to keep it to yourself I'm fine with that too (laughs) we're in this together okay Uh, I've received my schedule for two writing jobs uh, I've just signed up for, and they are going to be going from March till June. This all happened within a couple of days. Last week was insane. Last week, there was like nothing going on and then everything going on. So, and I think that's just the new normal. Everything is constantly in flux. I've had so much work booked, cancelled, rebooked, totally obliterated, And just when you think nothing's happening, you're in Adelaide doing two shows. So it can be a little bit overwhelming. But the aim is to keep churning out two episodes a week for you here uh, until at least the final episode of The Leftovers. So that's roughly another, what, uh, six months ahead of us? 25 episodes? So I'll try to keep to the Tuesday, Thursday release date. Sometimes there might be an episode a little earlier or later, depending on these other projects, but I'm going to stick to the two a week. And 
I know I keep saying I've got some other news coming up and it, it will be coming up soon. It has been slow at times getting to this point. Uh, but as I said, there's just so many sudden swerves and so many things coming out of left field. It's a little bit all over the shop, uh, but we will get there. And uh, thank you for all of the help and uh, kind words that have come out from all over the world. It is appreciated. Sometimes I'm reading things on the fly and I'll try to get back and answer them. Uh, People like uh, Isabel in Montana, who has been a great help. Uh, You know, Sarah Bennett in the UK. Everyone all around the world. Linda, uh, who I think is in Florida off the top of my head. All the guys here. It's it's really appreciated, and uh, I love being able to chat to you at our at our Facebook page. We will probably keep that Facebook page. We had a little conversation over there of should we uh, set up a message board, but uh, I think you know for the time being, while we don't completely hate Facebook, <laughs> well, our our section of Facebook is really nice, isn't it? We're having a good time there. So uh, a big shout out to all of you. It's uh, appreciated, and we will get that news out asap. It's just these sudden swerves in the industry. They're just, they're just what they are. That's all I can really do. But I'm excited about this other stuff, and we will announce it soon, really soon. I'm not going to say when. I'm aiming for next week. <laughs> there you go. I'm setting myself up for disappointment already. Ah, let's do this, Hamo. Fuck. All right. Let's finish with a Christopher Eccleston quote, and this is about his craft. I think theatre is by far the most rewarding experience for an actor. You get four weeks to rehearse your character and then at 7.30pm you start acting and nobody stops you. You get to act with your entire soul. Until then. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.